things in terms of Dhamma. So in contrast the the word Dhamma with the word self because the the self view is a conditioned one. That's what we that's how we think. That's our thinking mind is in we think in terms of me and mine and I am. So the self is <coughs> is what's conditioned into us. We, we aren't born with it. We aren't, we aren't born thinking that we, we have language and the society and the culture and so forth. It's still in the sense of, of I am. So that's why in contemplating things in terms of Dhamma, you're, you're changing uh, from the I am to this is the way it is, the way it is. But it's very important to 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 know the difference because I find that when, whenever you term things, uh, whenever you even think I am, then there's a whole kind of the logical sequence and habit uh, habits that go along with that assumption I am. Dhamma is the way things are, so. That's why we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, rather than in uh, the Buddha would never use the term like the Atman or anything relating to self. Uh, he used Anatta, non-self. Uh, I think as a, a skillful means to to uh, say break away from the from even seeing the. Uh, in terms of a big self and a little self, or an over-self, or an ultimate self and a, and a temporary self. So in, we take refuge in Dhamma, which is the way, the truth of the way it is. Now the I am is, is a conventional reality. It doesn't mean that we don't use the, we don't say, we should never think I am or use that way of speaking. It has its uh, practicalities and conventional communication is phrased in that way. You can't expect to go out into the society and talk about the Dhamma uh, and, and not refer to yourself in some way to I am or me and mine. But in reflecting on the way it is, then you're, 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 you have this opportunity to see, to, to see that this illusion of I am, that feeling of being a person, a personality, uh, an individual. Because ta mindfulness taken to as ultimate is universal. It's, it's, it's it's one, it's not, it's not personal. When we're fully aware and attentive, then that, that purity of awareness is not personal. The personal uh, stuff comes up when you start thinking. Going back to the old habits of, if you start thinking, I am aware, then that, then you, then you, you're back into the, 
into the realm of uh, I am. But there is this awareness, this silence, this there's this this purity. There's this intelligence. There, it's like this. This is the Dhamma. This is the way it is. Then to see the conditions that you're experiencing, such as the thoughts and emotions and uh, feelings, mental states that you experience, you're looking at them now as Dhamma rather than as personal problems, personal attributes. Because in, when contemplating the Anicca Dukkanata, it's a skillful means the Buddha devised to to be able to get to put some perspective on the things that we generally uh, uh, hold on to and identify and are habituated to, addicted to. The reflection of the base Ankarani Cha, all conditions are impermanent. That's something you can, uh, you know, contemplate the rest of your life. And you'll develop increasing wisdom just by the, the using that one phrase, all conditions are impermanent. And you contemplate conditions. What, what do we mean by conditions? Or sankharas. And, uh, and we say all conditions are impermanent. So, you, you, through the five khandhas, you use that, that example of the five aggregates, the consciousness, the, through the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind, through the, uh, the, uh, the body, the human body, the feelings, the perceptions, the volitional tendencies, the proliferations of the mind, the sankharas are conditions. So even, we, even when we look at the sun, we, we can see that the sun is a condition. Because we can see it as an object. The moon is a condition. The stars are conditions. We look far away. But you can even close your eyes and see conditions. Recognize the conditions of thought and feeling, emotion, uh, liking and disliking, wanting and not wanting. And so we ask ourselves, what is it that is aware of all this? What is it that contemplates, that can notice, that can reflect upon the condition? Is that a condition? Can one condition contemplate another condition? Now thinking then is, is uh, so we, we, we attach to ideas and thoughts and we, we can fool ourselves that we think we can actually figure everything out with, uh, with logic, with reason. Though there is a kind of conceit that human beings have, especially modern, educated human beings, that we, we have a feeling that we can figure it all out because we can be uh, use, use our reasoning mind to do so. There have been plenty of books uh, on this, you know, that people write out and... Uh, theses in, in university libraries and all kinds of things on the origin of the universe and nature of existence and, and the ultimate reality and metaphysical speculations of philosophies, uh, physics and various sciences, all quite brilliant in the ability to expound using symbols, forms and logic accordingly. The thing is that it's all, it in itself is conditioning, isn't it? Language, logic, reason, 
all symbols, all images are conditioned. Which doesn't mean to say, doesn't mean in, to imply any kind of uh, dismissal of them, or say that because they are, they're, they're not worth bothering with. Not, we're not trying to dismiss life or the world, but to get perspective on it, to be able to see it in the right way. So that's what meditation is for, being able to to change directions from just being caught up into through the uh, habits, the assumptions that we that we have already. Uh, we stop. We stop just following those, and, and we start reflecting. So this is the, like the Buddha seeing the Dhamma, the refuge in Buddha, the refuge in Dhamma. What is it all about? What are the five khandhas? We start pondering, wondering, contemplating. And we're not just seeing it in terms of logic and reason, figure it out, the definitions, but what is it? Vijnana, now, now is an experience. What is sanya? What is now, you know, not just uh, getting a nice dic- uh, d- uh, definition from the Pali uh, dictionary. Feeling. Where does the word, words like emotion, fit into this context? Fit, in, fit into these five khandhas? What is attraction? What is aversion? and so forth, so we, we reflect and contemplate and we, we're looking at these, we're beginning to notice the, rea- the real thing that they're referring to in this body here, this consciousness that we, we call me and mine, that we say is, is mine. Then the the pattern, the the, the anicca, all that is subject to rise, subject to ceasing, sape sangaranicca, all sape tama anatta, all dhamma is anatta, not self. All dhamma, and so dhamma is the word that includes everything from conditions to the unconditioned. It's a it's a word that means everything and nothing. So we don't have a word that is comparable in the English language. That's why we have to use Dhamma, the word, take the word Dhamma itself, or Dharma in the in the uh, Sanskritic form. So all Dharma, all Dhamma is not self, Anatta. And then say the. The uh, the one who grasps this idea thinks, thinks that the Buddha said all there's no self is a kind of categorical statement that Buddhists believe in. This is like you know what um, misinterpretations of Buddhism tend to proclaim. Buddhism is a negative teaching because it talks about suffering and no self, and it sounds negative if you're if you're looking at it in terms of a of uh, kind of categorical statements and doctrines that you're supposed to accept uh, as kind of a, a foundation for for your practice is what you you have to believe in these in these these particular statements. But these statements are for contemplation. So that's why we when we say sapesankarani cha we contemplate. Sankara, Anicca, all conditions are impermanent. 
all Dhamma is not self. What does that really mean? As far as I'm concerned, as far as this creature here, this being sitting here, that I, that I call me. How does that? How? What is the paid tama anatta as, as a, as in regards to to my own experience of life? So. So you're 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 taking the, these these reflective statements and then then contemplating them in terms of your own experience, your own insight. So, for example, there there's all kinds of dhammas, aren't there? Everything's a dhamma. There's the Dhammas, there's Kusla Dhamma, Akusla Dhamma, Apiyakata Dhamma, Tukaya Vedanaya Sampayuta Dhamma, Tukaya Vedanaya Sampayuta Dhamma, Atukama Tukaya Vedanaya Sampayuta Dhamma, Vipaka Dhamma, and so forth. You know that chant we, we do, the Matiga chants at funerals. You know, that's a, a, people that don't understand what they say, all they hear is Dhamma, 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 Dhamma. Kusalandhamma, Kusalandhamma, Payagatadhamma, Sukhaya Vedanaya Sampayudhadhamma. Me, the Dhamma. There's only the Dhamma. All kinds of Dhammas. All Dhammas are not self. But this Dhamma also, there's the, the Dhammas and then there's the Dhamma. the conditions and the unconditioned is not self. And what does that mean? And knowing how the human mind tends to want to grasp, to say, even the idea of, of uh, a self in regards to, like, like, like say, the, the ultimate of any religious goal is oftentimes you, uh, you we, we we think of it in terms of like a a god or god which is a which tends to get become a kind of person in our mind like most of us have been brought up in christian uh, families or influence of christianity or judaism on our in our lives and therefore it, it uh, th- this idea of god usually is uh, something we all have as a as a kind of as a person, personal God, a father, a patriarch. And then we're, we're children of God. So this is, this is symbolism though, isn't it? Is that, is that to be taken kind of literally? Do Christians mean that absolutely literally? Or is it also pointing beyond itself? Because when you get into mysticism, then you're, then you're using a different mental ability, isn't it? It's more intuitive rather than definitive. The Buddha avoided using the, the, a personification for, or anthropomorphic uh, imagery for ultimate reality. Amata Dhamma, the deathless. But that sounds negative too, deathless. Or is that a double negative? It could be a positive, isn't it? <laughs> if death is negative, that would be a positive. Or, but it sounds negative. The deathless, immortal truth. But it's a, it's a very abstract it's not. It doesn't, it doesn't have a a, a, a thing of I'll say that pulls on the heart, isn't it? It's merely a, a concept, an abstract concept. So, what is that in terms of our own direct experience, the deathless? Because it's pointing to here and now, to to that which we can know directly. Isn't that it's not. It's not. Deathlessness is some kind of 
idea or some something far away or something uh, difficult to you know so so minute or so subtle maybe it's not subtle at all maybe it's so obvious we we don't even we we we're just not uh, aware we've never seen it like the fish in the water doesn't know what water is because uh, human ignorance is is all is is the strong identification with what is not so we we are identified with the body my body don't touch my body it's mine well, my thoughts my feelings my life and we and this we are very convinced that this is this is what we are this this these mortal conditions these death death bound conditions are me now that's the assumption, that's the logic of, of that assumption, isn't it? If I am the five khandhas, then I'm going to die. Because all these are, are constantly dying. Mental states are coming and going all the time, being born and dying. The body was born so many years ago and it, it will die in the future. But feelings and sanya, sankara, they always up and down, coming, going, birth and death. And yet we, our ignorance can, can uh, really hold on to the, to the, because we can remember things so well, we have a retentive memory, we can hold on to views, static views, or perceptions of ourself that we can hold, that we, maybe we form when we're a child and we hold on to that idea that I'm this way till we die at 120. And some people can just, you know, you get some some image of yourself, some perception of yourself, maybe when uh, when you're a little innocent child and you hold on to that perception till you die at the age of 120. That's possible, people do that. People, you know, you can really see when, when somebody dies how how uh, you know people hold on to things. And somebody, if you've been with people who are dying, you know how they 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 hold on. They oftentimes they you can see unresolved karma, unresolved uh, fears and attitudes come up in their consciousness before they die and and frighten them. They don't know how to cope with it because maybe their whole life they've just operated. With the with these wrong views, interpreted life, and experienced life through this, through the all these distortions. So, for some people, the death process can be uh, terrifying because it's uh, it's the the stuff is going to come into consciousness, whether you like it or not, unless you dope yourself up so completely that you you're just not conscious. So in meditation, it's like it's like a, a dying. You know, if you, what we're doing now is we're learning how to die. And and that might sound a bit morbid to most people, <laughs> but we're 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 by opening the mind and the heart to the way it is, then we're we're th- we're de- releasing ourselves from this basic delusion, this avicca. So then, to me, it seems very, very, uh, like even you know, by by doing this as we go along through life, by the time we die, then what's there to let go of? You've already done the work, so it's a more like a fulfillment of a life. I like to think of death as like fulfillment, the last great experience as an individual, the death moment, rather than a kind of failure or a or an ugly uh, thing that we have to experience at the end of our lives, maybe it's 
one of the greatest experiences we have yet to, to have. When you think of it like that. I think it's probably more like that if you're if you've lived your life properly and you've learned from it, then death is a, is a, is a liberation, is a the final death. It's a joyful experience rather than a miserable one. Anyway, I'll tell you when I die. See if I can come back and communicate what it's like. You'd probably be frightened, I think. Ghost of Ajahn Sumedho. But it does make sense if you're, you're if you're moving to the deathless in this life. I mean, if you're beginning to recognize or realize that, and then the the Buddha's teaching is very direct, isn't it? Mindfulness is the path to the death, is the way to the deathless. Mindfulness is the, is the key word, isn't it? And in that statement in the Dhammapada, Appamado Amatapadang, Appamado is heed, heedlessness. Appamada is a Pali word. Meaning heedless, not being heedless. Now heedless is uh, then is is like is is being attached to all the dying things. They Pamado machu no padang. Pamado is appamado is heedlessness and and heedfulness. To be to be heedful and to be aware. To be aware, to be mindful, to be heedful is the way to the deathless or and that's in the present moment. So when we're, when we are paying attention, when we are listening, watching, paying attention, being heedful, then we, then, what is that? Ask yourself. Not to, not to try to grasp anything, but to, to, to more or less trust in that, in that attentive state of being in the moment. To, to find your refuge in being aware, attentive, heedful of the way it is. And, the, and it doesn't matter how it is then. It's not saying it has to be good or bad or whatever. It's, it's this way. Play as kusalatama, akusalatama, piyakatatama, and so forth. It's some, some things are skillful, some things unskillful, some things are neither skillful nor unskilled, some things are pleasurable, some things are painful, some things are neither pleasurable nor painful, uh, unlike this. So that the conditions are changeable and variable in the present. But that which is heedful is your refuge. And then also recognize the, the strong emotional attachments we have to pleasure and to trying to get rid of pain or, or uh, what is unpleasurable. So you find yourself, you know, emotions arising while you're sitting in meditation or feeling angry or averse to this or bored or restless or uh, just negative towards this and negative towards that. That's emotional, and, but all, that also is impermanent. And we can be aware of, of our emotional reactions to the pain in the body or the memories or uh, emotions that, that we happen to be experiencing in the present. So when we begin to trust and abide and rest in this attention, in this 
just this relax into it. That's why I keep using, rather than trying to find it as something, which always means we're we're putting forth an effort looking for something that that, that as a, to find it as an object. You can't find it as an object. You can only be that. So relax and pay attention. You see that meditation is resting, relaxing in an attentive way, paying attention. Not the idea of attention on something, you know, like you know, make yourself concentrate on something, but just that state of attention as it is in, in a, where it's not looking for anything, but there is this clarity and attentiveness in the moment. And that's why I found the sound of silence a helpful sign too, because it, if you can if you can uh, recognize that, that helps to kind of give you something to to relax with into that silence and learn to just trust in kind of sustaining for little bits at a time. Don't don't be too ambitious and think I'm going to do it for a whole hour and something like that, because then you. You, you, we get eager, we get greedy, we, we want to, you know, have the big breakthrough, and, and all these, these kind of things tend to blind us again to, to practice, to what we're actually doing. So, this is, to, to the practice of meditation is always a very humbling experience, because we can't, our egos can't really make it work for us. When, it, when we're trying to make ourselves meditate from the wrong, from a vicha, it doesn't work. It's always going to be a flop of some sort, some disappointment. So, this resting, relaxing, doesn't mean you, you, you crash down onto the floor, you can sit, but you're learning how to sit and and in a relaxed way and and just trust in this attentiveness as we we're not trained to do this we we always want to think about it or find something or do something so we can be aware of this the kind of restless reactions we have to this kind of practice of wanting to have something to do get full of doubts because we start thinking about it all we just you know, we just uh, overcome by doubt, restlessness, and and or sleepiness or torpidness. Pamado machinopadang and heedlessness is like dying, is the same as death. Heedlessness is the is death, heedfulness is immortality. And this is don't believe this. I'm just these are this is the from the Dhammapada, a verse from the Dhammapada, but it, it is a, for contemplation. So we we contemplate the deathless. What is that in my own experience? And the death. What is that? It's not just, don't wait till the the body dies. But what is death as, a, as an experience that we have in daily life? The loss, the ending. So that then the mind in the state of reflective awareness, attentiveness, is, 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 is contemplating what the, the, the body, the, the feelings, the perceptions, conceptions, consciousness. The five aggregates, the six ayatanas, the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body and mind, mental, the brain. So we notice the, the, the just the how things the, 
the eye and the org and the object of the the things that we see and the contact how this uh, is the experience of consciousness through the eye through the ear through the nose through the tongue through the body and then the manovinyana the the mental consciousness that thinks and and uh, with thought and and uh, perception of the objects of that memory, perception, thought, or feeling uh, the emotions. We we can be aware of any emotion we might be we might be experiencing just by paying attention, by contemplating it. So that which is aware, that which contemplates, that which can ponder and for just for easy reference we call that refuge in the Buddha. That's the Buddha, Buddha, ability of Buddha to know the Dhamma. So you, you, you're now realizing what, realizing Buddha and Dhamma and then Sangha. Is, uh, is that we're, we, are, we can say we're Sangha but we can't go around saying we're Buddha. Because Sangha is allowing for us as individual human beings, the Supatipano, Ujupatipano, Yaya Patipano, Samiji Patipano, those who practice in the right way, with an insight, with integrity, in a direct way. The Sangha, uh, this word Patipano is, uh, means putting into practice, doing it. It's not just a, a, a group of scholars uh, uh, thinking about Buddhist philosophy, the Supatipano is one who's actually doing it, making it work, practicing this way. Sangha as a refuge then is, is a, it's also a, a skillful reflection to say, be able to let go of our own individual uh, self-centered uh, att- uh, attachments, because uh, sangha means it includes all of us, isn't it? We're sangha. It's a belonging to a community, a group, a church. Of human beings, men and women like ourselves. So it's uh, it's not the sangha. Say as you practice more and more is a, is a more kind of inspiring refuge and a, one that we really appreciate because the sense of oneself uh, falls away. The, the need to be a, an individual, a personality, uh, to assert oneself as a person, uh, that, and that kind of isolation, alienation, loneliness that comes from identity, identification with with yourself in, in, in these very separative ways, suddenly it doesn't make any more sense. It doesn't. That's not really how things are. That's that's how they seem, but that's not how they really are. So then, you, the sangha is more the reality. We're we've it's belonging to a sangha. We're refuge in the in the sangha. Supatipano, ujupatipano, yaya patipano, samiji patipano. So as uh, social beings, uh, human beings that live, still a living, breathing, conscious creatures on this planet, our refuge is in practicing in the right way, in moral integrity, in honesty, in all that is fine in the human, human experience that is praiseworthy, true and real. We're, we're, that's our refuge. 
to speak in the right way, not to lie, not to abuse, not to uh, exaggerate, not to gossip, to use our bodies in the right way, not to harm other creatures. To respect each other and to to encourage the good and, and the true and and to encourage each other towards uh, practice towards liberation, rather than say pulling each other back out of emotional needs and and desires. We the sangha we we help we try to support each other's aspiration, each other's practice in a celibate community too, isn't it? We. We're men and women living together, monks and nuns, anagarikas and anagarikas. We're, we're living together as sangha. And, our, and so then we're helping each other towards that realization of nibbana, rather than trying to form personal attachments or or uh, trying to uh, uh, develop dependencies on this person or that person, or fascinations or attractions between uh, a male and female, and so forth. We're not. We're we're uh, we're, we're determined not to to do things like that. Not to try to to uh, influence people uh, toward anything less than encouraging them toward their spiritual realization. Sounds very high-minded indeed, but it, uh, but it is very inspiring to think that we can do that because so much of society is, uh, is doing the opposite. Isn't it? it pulls you back into, into the worries, the problems, the personal needs, the, the uh, intimidations, the infatuations, the, the problems of, of worldly life. In our life together, of course, we learn from each other all the time, so that we, we, uh, we do we do have, you know, we have, we find we like this one better than that one, or we we feel a particular affinities with this person and not with that one, or we feel attracted to this one and repelled by that one, and we have the the usual reactions uh, that human beings have in the worldly life. But now we're we're using it for practice of dhamma rather than believing it in terms of personal opinion and personal uh, attachment. Example, just if, you know, say, if I were uh, trying to draw people to me as a person, to attach to me as a person, or then that would be, that would be, uh, you know, a betrayal of this sense of sangha. It's to, to try to encourage people towards their spiritual goal that one they feels responsible, and one's joy lies in encouraging people towards the practice of meditation, towards uh, developing a. Uh, sense of responsibility for one's own life and actions and speech, and to, toward that refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, rather than in emotional attachments or personal uh, attachments, that sometimes can be very uh, compelling and very, uh, uh, you know, convincing, but as being Im- very important. But when I really contemplate in, in Dhamma and reflect upon it, I see that that would be, uh, you know, a very, very wrong thing to be doing, to try to influence people toward, for any selfish motives of my own.
So the refuge, that like this is not a, a guru-oriented group either in Theravada Buddhism. It's not. Uh, if you notice, it, it, do, it doesn't have any any real gurus. We have ajans and teachers and that. But I mean, there's it, not guru worship as such. It's not based on on the personal qualities of any any monk or nun or teacher as being what you should take refuge in. It's this, it's this uh, respect for the Dhamma Vinaya, for the teaching and the practice uh, that the Buddha left us, that we, that we say, hold up for people as, the, as that which they take refuge in rather than in this guru or this ajahn. Now that doesn't mean that, that we don't have charismatic qualities or people can get very emotionally attached or fixed on 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 some monks or none that's possible but and that's that's fair enough too if that's what's happening but the encouragement is toward a realization of dhamma rather than towards a fixation on a on a person and in the theravada tradition another uh very good thing I like very much is that there isn't any uh, I mean even if you go see the Sangharaj of Thailand he he looks pretty much like this where's the Sangharaj <laughs> they don't wear crowns or or uh, especially uh, you know uh, unusually kind of magnificent brocaded robes even the highest monk in Thailand the Sangharaj is Israel something like this doesn't look much different from this one. And so if you, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not uh, pointing to the. I mean, the Theravada Sangha, the monastic Sangha, is uh, is pretty much a uniform. It's not is has variations in the kind of color of your robes. The the city monks uh, used to wear orange, and the forest monks used to wear this. Uh, mucky color, ochre, muddy color, and uh, then, uh, and now the muddy colors become fashionable. Even the Bangkok bhikkhus are wearing muddy, muddy brown robes, and the bright orange ones. Not so many these days. But these are just the variations of of color, on, but the robe is pretty much the same thing. So you can see the, 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 the one-pointedness of this, this style, where the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha is a refuge. The, the, uh, the teaching is is available to us all equally. Is that there's not a special teaching for monks and a special teaching for nuns or anagarikas they get a lesser teaching than the bhikkhus or the lay people they have a, they can they lay people are hopeless they can only have a lay teaching uh, that uh, is definitely below the standard of the high teaching that we give the bhikkhus. You'll get the same teaching. And anyone who asks can get the teaching. You know, you don't have to, you know, not just the special friends of Ajahn Sumato or, or just the, you know, a select group. And anyone who comes and asks, you, 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 you give them the teaching. So you see, it's not a teaching, it's not a, a, a secret society or, a, or, or it's not a teaching based on just, on special, uh, for, for special groups or, classes or or that or that the Dhamma for men is different than the Dhamma for women. We're transcending all of that. The whole all these these uh, divisive uh, conditions. 
all the Dhammas to realize the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. Now, admittedly, it's, a, it's, it's so simple that it's difficult. When you look at being simple is the most difficult thing for us. Complicated things are much more easy for us. You probably be, some of you are much better at computers than at meditation. Really complicated things like computers. I've never, I don't know anything about computers, but they look very complicated. And uh, I'm too stupid to, to be able to run a computer. I'm computer illiterate. Am I bragging or? <laughs> but anyway, this uh, but the Dhamma is is ultimate simplicity. Seeing that, to know the difference, to to be able to to discern between the death, between that which is death and that which is deathless, and it isn't a matter matter of thought, is it? It is this attentive watching and listening, paying attention, and listening to the subtleties of. <coughs> of both <coughs> what you experience externally through the senses and, and what goes on inside you. It's all, all that is, all sapesankaranicca, all conditions are impermanent. Sapesamanata, all dhamma is not self. And as I've said before, you don't have to find yourself. You just, it's not a matter of, of, uh, having to find yourself, just let go of everything that you think you are. <laughs> it's letting go of everything that's not yourself, that you think is yourself, that is called a vicha, isn't it? A vicha is, a, is this ignorance that we are, we're attached to, we think we're all kinds of things that we're not. Mm-hmm. We're, we assume all kinds of things that, that are not true. Mm. So the awakened, the, the awakened one, the one who knows, is it like the, the one who knows the world, this Buddha, knows the Dhamma, and the Sangha is the one that practices the Dhamma. So I offer this for your reflection and contemplation this evening.